All right. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Minority Mavericks. And this is Angel Leon, your host. And this is the show where we tell the story of every single minority entrepreneur, founder, and investor of this world. And in today's show, I have the honor to have Sasha McKenzie, and she's the deal lead at Wellington Access Ventures. Welcome to the show, uh, Sasha. Thank you so much for having me here. It's truly a pleasure and a privilege to share my story, and I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you, Sasha. Thank you so much for being here and, you know, telling your story with the audience more than anything else, right? Um, but, you know, just to start with the basics, right? Uh, can you introduce yourself, share your background um, and, you know, include maybe your journey from earning that MBA, right, um, to the, your current role at Deal Lead uh, at Wellington Management? Absolutely. So I was technically born in Southern California, but I'm a Midwesterner at heart. My family moved to Dayton, Ohio when I was five or six years old. And even though I grew up in the Midwest, far away from Silicon Valley, I got extremely early exposure to what it meant to be an entrepreneur and build a business through my grandparents, who were small business entrepreneurs themselves. They started and built their own funeral home business here in Cincinnati, where I'm based today. And I remember always being really inspired by my grandmother, who didn't finish high school, but she was the brains behind the operation. She did all the marketing, client relations, management, accounting. It was really incredible. And I saw at a really young age the hustle and grit and tenacity and self-belief it takes to build something from the ground up. So there's always been a sense of just deep admiration and respect for entrepreneurs and founders who I always say are the true heroes of everything that we're doing as venture capitalists. On top of being a Midwester, I'm also someone who went to state school. So I went to Ohio State right up in Columbus. And one of the things I fully recognized while I was there was that I was craving a more diverse experience and, and experience um, that was really different from what I had been exposed to so far. And for me, that meant New York City. And so my dream of living and working in New York, breaking out of the Midwest, I knew at my core was my path. And I was fortunate that a company called R.R. Domley was coming to campus for the first time to recruit consultants to be a part of their business. And I remember talking to the group president during my interview and telling him that my dream was to go to New York. And he said, you know what, Sasha, if after going through our training program, you're one of the top graduates of your class, I'll make sure you get to New York. And that was all I needed to hear. And, you know, eight or nine months later, I was moving to New York City. And so yeah. my experience at R. Donnelly, it was really incredible to be a consultant And those are skills that I leverage every single day as a venture capitalist, listening skills, the ability to ask those deep questions to get to the root of a business, trust building amongst founders to win deals are all skills I developed as a consultant. And I was there at R. Donnelly for five years, and it was really an incredible platform for me to launch my career on. And as much as I liked R.R. Donnelly, I knew I wanted to take my career to the next level and do a bit of a pivot into finance. And I thought that business school would be the best catalyst for that. And I was the type of person, I never thought that I would be able to get into a quote unquote Ivy League school. 
And I almost didn't even consider Columbia as an option for my MBA. But I knew if I was going to make the very hefty investment into getting my MBA that I wanted to try to get into the best school that I could. Mm -hmm. And what I want to make very clear to everyone is that, you know, I was never that person that breezed through standardized testing or even, again, believed that I could get into a school like Columbia. Um, It was really just never on my radar, but I came to a place where I decided that there was really nothing to lose. So why not try? And so I remember after work, I would stay in the office for three or five hours studying for the GMAT for months, every weekend, Saturdays and Sundays. I did nothing but study for the GMAT. And I also was going up to Columbia multiple times, talking to admissions, telling them my story and why I deserved a chance to be a part of their community. And for some reason, they decided to let me in. And so after Columbia, I was able to land a job at one of the best consumer retail investment banking platforms on Wall Street at Bank of America. And I spent three years there. You know, it was, um, you know, as a junior person in IB, you're often working 80 to 100 plus hour weeks. But, you know, boy, did I learn a lot there. And I learned a lot about managing junior talent. I learned about how to dig in deep and analyze companies, get to really what matters, build financial models. And again, this was another transformative experience in my career. And while I was there at Bank of America, our team started partnering more frequently with our tech team um, out in Palo Alto. And we would partner with them on e-commerce deals. And it was just such a fascinating and interesting time because we were really living and seeing the shift and growth in e-commerce mobile um, through the advancements of technology. And again, I was super fascinated and energized by working with these earlier stage companies, working directly with founders, hearing their stories or journeys, helping them think through how to monetize. And I realized this is where I want to be. And this is where I want to spend my career. Okay. I want to help founders who are building the next generation defining companies. And so I decided to try to pivot into VC, which, um, again, we all know is, is, is not the easiest pivot to make. And I remember I spent three years talking to, do, talking to VCs, networking, trying to build my network, um, and faced, you know, a ton of rejection, but it was through a friend of my husband's who connected me to a person here in Cincinnati um, who was launching their own venture fund. And after speaking with her over several months, she asked if I would be willing to come and help her get the first fund off the ground and help lead the investing for the firm. And Um, it's funny. I remember talking to my now husband at the time, not my husband. Um, he's from New York and I asked him if he'd be willing to take the chance and leave our lives behind in New York so that I could help launch this fund. And he knew it was my dream. So, so I remember we, 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 a few months later, we packed up a U-Haul and and drove from New York uh, back to Ohio. And, um, while I was at H Ventures, I raised, launched, and deployed a first-time fund. And it was it was an absolutely incredible experience. 
So fast forward now, I'm, as you mentioned, a deal lead here at Wellington Access Ventures, and we are Wellington Management's early stage venture platform. The thesis behind our fund is that we believe the next billion and multi-billion dollar outcomes are going to come from founders who have been historically overlooked in venture capital. And we focus on B2B SaaS, fintech, consumer, and digital health companies. It is really our belief that while talent is universal, opportunity is not. And we are excited to capitalize on this huge white space in the industry by investing in female, Black, Latino, Latina, immigrant founders, and more who we believe are building the next generation defining companies. Very interesting, Sasha. Oh, very powerful, you know, background, of course, and experience that you've had. Um, and uh, as a deal lead at, at Wellington Management, um, you focus on, right, like you mentioned, in investing in founders who have been historically excluded, right, from access to capital, just underestimated uh, on that end. Um, can you share some insights into what is the criteria or the or those qualities that that you look for when you're identifying these investment opportunities, right? That, that then of course align with your commitment to diversity and inclusion. Yeah, it's a really good question. I think at the start, all of the standard criteria investors look for have to be true. So you have to have the metrics, the market has to make sense, you know, et cetera. But the way we look at it is that it's truly vital for us to understand a founder's story and why it is important for them to solve the problem they're looking to solve. And what unique insights have they experienced firsthand that gives them a right to win in whatever they're trying to build? And these conversations really flow organically because you have one diverse person talking to another, which many times is not what these founders have experienced as they've sought to raise capital. And, you know, one, one thing I love about the founders that we target is there is no limit to the hustle and grit that they have had to lean into very much like myself, very much like my teammates here at wave. And we love that because Many times for our founders, there there is no plan B. This is it. Right. And so that's, you know, that's how we look at our founder set and what gets us energized and, and excited about investing in them. Very nice. Um, very nice. And uh, I'm glad that, you know, there's people and there's funds and just groups out there, right? that are looking out for, for others, right? Um, one of the main things that I've heard a lot um mainly actually from uh, black founders and black investors has been the, you know, the, the, the topic of just access to, to capital, right. Of not having enough access to capital, not having enough access to resources, uh, not having enough access to sometimes uh, certain people, right. To, to be able to connect with an investors that just pass on, you know, on, on founders just because of their color or how they look or just because of they don't have necessarily, a, you know, a background, educational background in place. Um, so it's, you know, it's really it's really endearing to 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 know, right, that there's funds and groups out there like yours, right, that are willing to help, just like there's, you know, a lot of others right now. Um, and 
you have you know you have an extensive ex- experience of course in investing and not just at the as a VC right but before that you were uh, an investment banker at Bank of America um has that experience with as an investment banker has any kind of um influence in your you know in your transition to venture capital yeah absolutely it has um i want to touch on something that you said there um you know, one thing we do know about the BC ecosystem is that it is homogenous and it really is network driven. And to your point, and, and that inherently limits access for some entrepreneurs, which, you know, to us and to me limits opportunities for value creation and investor returns. And so, you know, when, when we sought out to set up this fund, it was really interesting to me that investment of capital within within this ecosystem had not caught up with the growing diversity of the U.S. consumer and workforce population, and it had not caught up with the significant growth in startup businesses that you know are being launched by founders from a wider range of background backgrounds. So, um, you know, for us when we see this market inefficiency and, and, and we know the stats, right? 1% of venture dollars going to companies led by black founders, 2% led by Hispanic founders, 2% female founders. You know, this is a market inefficiency. And whenever an investor sees market inefficiencies in white space, we get excited about the opportunity to deliver alpha there. And so to your point, our, our responsibility to our investors is, giving and delivering them that network access that 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 they may lack through Wellington's platform and, and what we've built here. Um, but to get back to the question you you asked, um, yeah. my my investment banking experience is something I lean on every single day. Um, it's funny, I remember actually in those three years when I was trying to pivot into um, venture capital, I got the feedback that yeah, you're investment, you're an investment banker, but those are a dime a dozen, which you know I guess you know maybe is true, but this experience is something I lean heavily into every single day. Um, the experience of hearing about a business and then being able to immediately lean into what facts need to be true to move forward with an investment is a skill that is honed over many years and and investment banking, you're breaking down businesses to their fundamentals, then building them back up to see if metrics make sense. And that is such a vital part of how we analyze business models as VCs. And I would say, additionally, while I was at Bank of America, I was very focused on consumer retail companies. So as a VC now, when I'm looking at B2C or B2B2C businesses, I already know the challenges the founders are going to face as they scale because I've seen it firsthand. So it helps me in having an already prepared mind going into some of these conversations with our founders. Very interesting. And uh, I was reading a, an article um, actually the other day from McKinsey um, and company that it, it was specifically about underestimated startup founders and uh, they're calling it, you know, the untapped opportunity. Um, and basically, you know, say something along the line of just more access to funding for 
these underrepresented startup founders can unlock right uh, this massive investment and in innovation opportunities um, in the industry. And what what are you, what are your thoughts about that specifically in terms of you know what is what do you think about the underestimated founders right being a t on tap opportunity? Yeah, the the point is extremely salient to what our fundamental beliefs are here at Wellington Access Ventures and at Wellington, you know, I think when we look at things like I mentioned, like the changing demographics of this country, when we mm -hmm. look at things like the rapid pace of who are who is starting businesses today, those seedlings that are being planted um, to go, you know, unfertilized, un untouched is, is a hugely missed opportunity. And there's really big businesses that are going to be built serving, for example, tomorrow's consumers that do not look like the basis of what consumerism looked like previously and historically. And so um, that is a huge opportunity. And, and, you know, we really believe these are going to be really big businesses that are going to be built ar around some of these concepts. So um, we agree with, you know, this principle that um, because no one, because of the lack of funding going into some subsets of founders, there's opportunities that are being missed mm -hmm. for advancements in technologies or ideas or business models that are being missed. And, and that's what we're looking to find. Definitely. And um, yeah, to your point there, um, just like the, the, it's, it's more about the missed opportunity, right. Of, of, of bringing in those new ideas and new different perspectives more than anything else. It's kind of like, they don't want to, hear those perspectives um, kind of thing, right? And and those are the, you know, the points where we struggle uh, the most, I would say. Um, and through, through your career, though, um, you, you know, you, of course, you've championed a lot of underrepresented founders out there in different sectors. Um, again, sign-based consumer brands, digital health companies, etc. Um, what strategies do you believe that are most effective in fostering this inclusivity and representation in these industries? And, and what are these challenges have you encountered along the way? It can be a huge uphill battle fostering inclusivity and representation in various industries. And really the only way that happens is through capital and funding. You know, the challenge is that women are only getting 2% of venture dollars, which makes progress in fostering inclusivity and um, things like femcare and things and problems that, you know, women really fundamentally care about challenging. And so I think the biggest thing that we can do is really support and add value to our founders, like I mentioned um, which we do again through our platform here at Wellington. And I truly believe that the more founders we back and elevate 
and promote and help get to those exits and those outcomes, um, the better the industry can become as a whole, the more inclusive the industry can become as a whole. And, you know, at the end of the day, we need more diverse people at, at all levels, LPs, GPs, and founders. And that really is to me, the only way that lasting inclusivity can happen. Definitely. Definitely. And, and, um, you know, th- thank you for, for telling all this, uh, and sharing, of course, your, your background, your story, um, and all your experience so far. Um, and, you know, all the listeners out there, just please know that there's people out there, uh, just like Sasha that are willing to help, are willing to, you know, uh, understand what is the problem that you want to solve and then help you solve that problem. Uh, and then not only that, but mainly, you know, uh, you know, like she mentioned, right. Navigating through the industry, navigating through that is the most important part that there we kind of lack off right now that we don't necessarily have that access. And that's what Wellington is doing, providing that access. Um, so, you know, thank you for that. And, you know, man, uh, many blessings on everything that you guys do from now on there. But, you know, thank you again for for all that. And before we wrap up here anyway, I would love to to know a little bit more about your future plans, right, uh, personally and with the funds as well. Um, and maybe at the end, if, if, you know, if you had one piece of advice to give to one minority entrepreneur and founder out there, what would that be? Yeah, absolutely. So... First, starting with your question around what's next for us, you know, we at Wellington Access Ventures are super fortunate to have closed our first fund at the end of September, and we are so excited and energized by what we're doing, what we're building. And so if you are an underrepresented founder and you're building what you believe is the next generational defining business, I would love for you to come reach out and talk to us. Um, you know, I think what you'll find here is that we are doing venture capital a little bit differently here at Wave, and we are all about fostering a sense of community and really being there and supporting our founders from from day one all the way through IPO and beyond. And if you look at my I'm I'm just one of four other of three other incredible investors here at Wellington Access Ventures. And if you look at some of the things that my colleagues have built, like you know, Frederick Gross, for example, who's the founder of Black VC, which is the largest community of black investors, Jackson Cummings, who's on the board of Black VC and is one of the founders of Black Venture Institute, along with Fred, which is an organization that provides access and insights and community to Black operators and executives who are looking to become angel scout and venture investors. And, you know, my involvement in Black women in venture capital, all raise Kaufman Fellows, you know, we fostering our ecosystem and and being a, a big contributor and part of it is is incredibly important to us. And to your last question, I really have no secret sauce. And all I can say from experience is that if you 
really fundamentally believe in what you're doing, then just never, ever give up. Keep moving forward, keep fighting, and you'll get there. Definitely. Definitely. And, and to, you know, to maybe comment a little bit more about what you're saying there, you know, the, sometimes people get frustrated as well. And, you know, I believe that patience, right. It's a, it's a virtue that we, we all need in some sort of way. Um, and just for people and our listeners to understand as well, that the same, the same way that there's very little money allocated for minority groups, the same way that there's little people that are dealing with that money so you know you guys are busy <laughs> and i just want our listeners to understand that you know don't give up right keep keep reaching out um and you know if you know what you what you want to do if you're very clear with your mission and your vision and your goal um i can guarantee you you know you can get you can get in here uh, at some point um again it's a very very small group that's dealing with this uh, not just Sasha, right? Of course, but there's there's a limited amount of people that are dealing with minority, um, you know, focuses. So um, you know, be patient, reach out, um, and and of course, network, right? Ask questions, be curious, um, and like Sasha said, you know, never give up. That's the that's you know one of the main things. So again, Sasha, really nice to have you on the show today. Um, I really appreciate you taking the time. I know you're a busy person. And, you know, it was very great to have um, told your story here to our listeners as well. Uh, so, yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. All right. And then for everyone out there that was listening, this was Minority Mavericks. And this is Angel Lee and your host. And remember, this is the show where we tell the story about every single minority entrepreneur, founder and investor of this world. See you next time.